let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is kind of in response to those of you who have been coming up to me the last few weeks saying, Rod, when are you going to preach from 2 Peter? We want to hear some 2 Peter. So I said, okay, I need to do some. No, that's a, I haven't had, you know, in my whole life, nobody's ever asked me to preach from 2 Peter. Uh, I, don't, I don't get that. It's such a great little book. But anyway, so we're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we'll read from verse 8 all the way down to the end. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I feel like I'm living in a very strange time. I don't know if you felt this way, probably because being sick now for over a month, which those of you know me know that that just doesn't happen to me normally, and still struggling with the laryngitis and and all those things, it's meant everything's kind of slowed down for me. But it it almost felt like for a season there last year, even though last year was a struggle, we were moving and moving and moving and pressing forward in in a lot of different ways and uh, pressing toward this time when I do believe that God is going to pour out his spirit afresh on the body of Christ here in the UK and across Europe. And we're seeing some stirrings of that uh, going on even now uh, all around Europe. But it feels like all of a sudden we were going full steam ahead and then just kind of everything is paused and everything is stopped a bit. And it's almost like we're waiting in this paused moment. Uh, And it's kind of frustrating and it's rather interesting to be there. And I don't know if you've gone through the same thing uh, that I've gone through and experienced it in the same way. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, 
Uh, but it's a very strange time. And even though we know that everything is ready, the time is fulfilled for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it hasn't happened yet. And we're here and, you know, we're waiting. We're waiting for the building redevelopment, something to happen on that. Uh, we're waiting for health. We're waiting for things to shift. And they almost feel stuck a little bit as we wait. And it's tempting to think when we're in times of waiting that somehow God's not doing anything. It's tempting to think that maybe God was going to do something, but maybe we messed up in some way, and now God's not going to bless us anymore. It's tempting to start to wonder, okay, am I in one of those dark nights of the soul where God feels kind of distant from you, and you don't feel the same kind of closeness to the Lord and the like? It's tempting to wonder if God is really true to his word, if maybe all the things that we've been thinking and hoping and praying for and believing for and thinking we've heard God speak, that maybe all of these things are just figments of our imagination. It's tempting, but I think Peter encourages us not to do that. And this passage that we read about, Peter is obviously talking about the time when Jesus comes again. Jesus promised that he would return. The angels, when he ascended, said that he's going to come back in the same way that you've just seen him go. He's coming back. We read this time and time again in the scriptures that Jesus is coming again. Jesus told us he would do it. Paul told us he would do it. Peter told us he would do it. Jude told us he would do it. John told us he would do it. And we're living in this time, in this season. And Peter here is writing toward the end of his life. Uh, and he's encouraging people because Peter, like many other people at the time, thought that Jesus would come back in their lifetime. They thought any minute now, Jesus is going to appear. He's going to bring the kingdom to Israel. He's going to bring the, the change and the transformation in the world. Any minute now, there's going to be the new heavens and the new earth. Any minute now, incredible things could happen. And they've been waiting for that. And instead of having uh, Jesus come back, they've been going through persecution. They've been going through difficulties. They've been going through trials. They've been watching people fall away from the faith. They've been surrounded and, and, and have seen false teachers and false prophets rise up. And they were questioning and wondering and thinking, okay, is God really true to his word? Is he really going to come? And of course, Peter says, hey, you know, God is, you know, not slow, as some of us might understand slow. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. That means, I, I, I figured it out one time, that means if God says, I'll be with you in a minute, that's six months. <laughs> and so Peter says, he's not being slow, that if, there's, if he's not responding, if he's not acting right away, there's a good reason for it. In, in this situation, Peter was saying, the reason why God is delaying is so that more people can come to faith, more people can repent more people can respond to the invitation of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. More people can become disciples of Jesus. The church can grow and move forward. And so God has been patient because he doesn't want anybody to be lost, but he wants everybody to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 
And so that's why he's held back. That's why he's waiting. And that really gives us encouragement too as we pray for the seven and a half to eight million people within 15 miles of where we are right now who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We thank God for his patience and we thank God for his grace and we pray that God would awaken the hearts and minds of men and women and children all over this great city and all over this world to the reality of life in Jesus Christ, that they might become disciples of Jesus. But that begs a bit of a question that Peter starts to move into here. And that question is, okay, if we're waiting, if we're in this paused period, does that mean that we do nothing? Does that mean that we sit back and twiddle our thumbs and say, okay, well, we'll wait until Jesus comes? Does that mean that we go to a a small island in the Caribbean and sit on the beach all day until something actually happens? That sounds very appealing to me, actually. Either there or Scotland. Although you don't tend to lay out on the beach in Scotland like you do in the Caribbean, but that's okay. Uh, You know, hey, is that what we do? Or how do we live? How do we live in this reality? How do we live in a time of waiting? How do we live in a time where things seem to be paused when we know the time is right, when we know the time is full, when we know that God has responded and is going to respond? Uh, How do we live in this pause? What kind of lives ought we to live? And that's what Peter starts to look at here. And he tells us that one day, you know, the whole heavens and the earth will be dissolved. And that really gives us a clue that living lives focused on materialism is not the way to go. So often our lives are just about what we can accumulate and we get more and more and more stuff, more and more and more experiences, but that's not really the answer because one day this heaven and this earth will pass away and everything that you think you own, you don't really own. You just have control of it for a little while because eventually it will end in the, tu- in the dust or in the rubbish somewhere or be passed on to somebody else and it won't be ours anymore. So if we're not to live for stuff, if we're not to live for the material stuff in this world, what do we do? He challenges us, first of all, to live lives of holiness and godliness. The implication of the Greek in this passage is not some kind of static holiness or godliness where we go up on the mountaintop and say, okay, I'm I'm holy now. I'm set apart for the Lord. That's what holiness is all about, being set apart for the Lord. I'm godly. I'm thinking lots of godly thoughts. And so I've achieved holiness and godliness. The implication of the Greek is what we do. In other words, Peter is challenging the disciples that as they wait, we need to be doing holy and godly things with our lives. Now many times we, we classify life as either holy or Uh, secular, sacred or secular. We talk about that an awful lot. But actually, that's not a biblical dichotomy. Biblically, the dichotomy is between the sacred or the holy and the profane, that which is contrary to God. So in other words, as we live our lives, we can be living our lives in the marketplace, 
doing our job, and that's a holy activity. I was talking with a business leader this past week at the Free to Lead conference, and I was encouraging him because he had his own business, his own consultancy, and I was encouraging him to think of it as a kingdom business because he was looking at his life and saying, well, I really like praying for the sick in church, but most of the time I'm spent not doing ministry, I'm spent on the job. And I said, no, you are a frontline missionary in the marketplace. The work that you do, you do unto the Lord, and the influence that you have on these businesses, helping business be established in righteousness and health, and, and dare I say holiness, is actually a sacred calling. And so Peter is challenging us as we live our lives to start thinking of our lives in terms of holiness and godliness and doing those things that are honoring to the Lord that reflect who Jesus is, that reflect who God our Heavenly Father really is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the kind of life we need to be living. And those are the kinds of things that we need to be doing according to Peter here. And so our waiting here is kind of an active waiting. We're engaging in that which promotes holiness and godliness. We're doing those kinds of things to the glory of God and Jesus Christ. And we're waiting, and then Peter says something strange here, hastening the coming of the day of God. That sounds kind of weird. After all, didn't God determine when God's going to come? Didn't God determine when God's going to act? And certainly he has. But there was an ancient debate uh, amongst the Jews about whether or not you could hasten God's activity. If you could hasten God's response, that God said he was going to do something, can you make him do it quicker? Or can you not make him, because we don't make God do anything, but can you entice him or somehow respond to him so that he will act quicker? And the rabbi said, yeah, you can. And the way you do that is by repentance. So Peter here is saying that as we are doing the holy and godly things and we're waiting for God to act, at the same time, we also need to be living a life of repentance. That means that when we sin, we need to be dealing with it right away. We don't need to wait. We can't wait. As soon as the Holy Spirit twinges your conscience that you've done something wrong, you need to immediately go to the Lord and say, Lord, I did this, it's wrong, and I turn away from it, and I'm going to go in the opposite direction. That's what repentance is all about. And so Peter is encouraging us in this time of waiting, don't fall off into sin, but actually hasten God as you live this life of repentance and you engage with the Lord. Because we're waiting now for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I look forward to that. I mean, I, I am so chuffed about what God is going to do in this new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be an amazing time. And, and I really look forward to the day of seeing it, knowing that the righteousness of God will dwell in that place. That means there's no more sickness. There's no more sorrow. There's no more dying. There's no more pain. There's no more knife crime. There's no more poverty. There's no more rape. There's no more molestation. There's no more of this stuff. That's the world we're going to. And so we live our lives with that world in mind. And even though we don't live in this world right now, as we are waiting for the world, 
There's a way as we live our lives in holiness and godliness and live lives of repentance, there's almost a sense where God uses us to bring a taste of that new heaven and new earth into this world today. And that's part of our calling is the body of Christ. So even as we're waiting for God to move in our lives, we're also seeing God's kingdom come and God's will done on this earth as it is in heaven. Which is what we pray. Then he goes on, verse 14, he tells us, since you are waiting for these, since we're looking forward to this, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. This means you've got to make a lot of effort. And without spot or blemish is, is a reference to the Old Testament sacrificial system where the sacrificial lamb was supposed to be without defect or without blemish. Now, obviously, we don't sacrifice lambs anymore. Jesus became our sacrificial lamb. But we are to become people who are morally, like Jesus, who are morally without spot or blemish. And so when he says, live life of holiness and godliness, that's about what we do. But being morally spotless, that's about who we are. That's about the quality of our character. And the quality of, of, of our, our, our inward life. And so he says, make every effort. Be very diligent. Because it's very easy for us to fall away from this. It's very easy for us to slide down a pathway of immorality. Or slide down a pathway of worldliness. Uh, and before we know it, we've wandered away from the faith. He's encouraging us not to do this. And also, he's saying, be very diligent to be at peace. Now, this means, of course, peace with God. And that means living in repentance, living without sin. But also, this is about being at peace with one another. This means that we have to work at not fighting. We have to work at not quarreling. You know, it's so easy for us to become judgmental toward one another. It's so easy for us to think that what we're doing is right and what everybody else is doing is wrong. It's so easy for us to give disagreements about opinions about this, that, or the other thing. And we get upset with each other and we get angry with each other and we fall out with one another. And Peter says, no, we can't do that. In light of this reality, we need to be living at peace with one another. And in order to do that, you got to work at it. It takes effort. Now, thankfully, we already know from the first chapter of Second Peter that we have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. That means that in Christ, we can do all these things. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us. So it's not just our work, it's not just our effort, but it's actually us cooperating with Jesus, cooperating with the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill the will of the Father. And so that's very good news, but we still have to work. It's not something that just comes naturally or comes easy to us. And then he goes on and he says, and count the patience of our Lord, the fact that he's not moved quite yet as salvation, as him getting things ready as him preparing the ground. In Peter's case, he's talking again about the end times and when Jesus would come again and just say, if, if God's being patient, if God's not moving, it's simply because he wants more and more people to be saved. 
but count that as salvation. Uh, and then he talks about Paul here. I kind of skip over Paul just a little bit. Talks about Paul, you know, listening to Paul. There's some things in his letters uh, you don't quite understand. But then verse, verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing that God is coming, knowing that the heavens and earth are going to be passing away, knowing all of these realities that he's been talking about, take care then that we are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose our own stability. So we've got to be diligent about the quality of our life. We've got to be diligent about the things that we're doing. We have to be diligent to be at peace. And we have to be careful because there are a lot of false teachers out there. There are a lot of lawless people and lawless people thinking that you can live any way that you want to and it doesn't really matter, that you can do whatever you want to and God doesn't care. Or lawless people in the sense that as Christians, we don't have to have discipline. We don't have to have work. We don't have to do anything that uh, we just coast along in our lives. But the reality is that if we're going to live for Jesus, it takes discipline. It takes engaging in things like prayer and reading the Bible, engaging with brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in the fellowship of believers, learning and growing and acting and choosing. These are all things that are disciplined. And we need this. Otherwise, you can get carried away by people who are undisciplined or who are so focused on hyper grace that they don't think that how you live your life really makes a whole lot of difference. And consequently, Peter says, we can lose our stability. And so even as we're waiting, we need to wait with the discipline of being ready to move when God says move and living our lives as God wants us to live our lives. And then his final encouragement, which I absolutely love. He says, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace through faith. And that comes to us. But you know, you can grow in the reality of God's grace in your life. You can grow in the knowledge that God loves you with all the passion of his being that he saved you by the grace of his son, Jesus Christ, that he's placed his Holy Spirit inside of you to enable you to keep going, enable you to persevere. And that means as Christians, we don't live in condemnation. I know so many Christians who say, well, I don't pray enough. I don't do this enough. I don't do that enough. And it's time for us to stop that. Yes, we have to have discipline. That's, that doesn't negate this. But just because you pray more doesn't mean God loves you more. And God's grace is there when you fail. Do you know that God knows every single time that you're going to fail? You know that. He knows that, and yet he loved you and he chose you before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? God knows the mistakes I'm going to make. He knows how I'm going to mess up. He knows my weakness as a spiritual leader. He knows all this. He knew all of this even before he saved me, and yet he saved me. And when you grow in that realization, you're growing in the grace, and you can also grow in knowing Jesus. And that's the knowledge of Jesus. It's not an intellectual knowledge. Remember, when, when in the Greek New Testament, when you're talking about knowledge, you're talking about experiential knowledge. 
not intellectual knowledge. It's not facts and figures. It's not knowing that Jesus died on the cross and the third day rose bodily from the dead, although that's important knowledge to have, information to have. It's actually having that relationship with Jesus where you get to know him as your Savior and Lord. And even as we wait, even as we might be living a time of pause in our lives, we can still grow in that grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And ultimately, as Peter points us to here in this last verse, ultimately, our lives, whether they're in waiting moments or they're moving forward, whether they're in times of great activity or times of rest, our lives are lived to the glory of God and Jesus Christ. To Jesus be the glory both now and forever to the very day of eternity. It's all about Jesus. It's also that Jesus will receive honor. It's so that Jesus will receive glory. It's Jesus who receives the honor and the glory, even in our weakness, even in our frailty, even when we fall. It's Jesus who picks us up to his own honor and glory and praise. Our lives are lived to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And that is an ever-present reality. So even though God may not be doing what we think He should be doing, or even though God might not be doing in in any given moment what we believe God has promised us He would do, even though we might be living in a time of tension, even though we might be living in a time of waiting, we know that we can live productively and fruitfully and grow in God's grace all to the glory and honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let us be encouraged with these words and let us be determined to persevere no matter what. Never quitting, never backing down, but living fully by the grace of God to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you so much that you love us with an undying love. We thank you that you knew us before you called us, and yet you still called us, and you still loved us, and you still showed us grace and mercy. And we thank you and praise you for all of that. We honor you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would teach each of us what life we ought to live in this time of waiting, in this time of pause. Teach us how to live fruitfully for your glory, both at work and at home, on the streets and in the church. Teach us how to live for your honor and praise. And sustain us by your grace and help us not fall away, but help us to walk in righteousness and truth. For we love you and we praise you and we honor you all in the name and authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.